All right, and we're live, hopefully. Ivan from the Multiverse Show. Thank you guys for tuning in. Some of our uh, quick uh, checkups here. That's the alarm for the show. <laughs> uh, to make sure we actually went on live on time. I think we're okay, uh, at least for this. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multiverse Show, episode six of four. Uh, we have a good lineup of topics for you guys. Things that are in our wheelhouse of expertise. First, our introductions for this. We have the Titan of Texas, Mr. Fame Entertainment. Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, I am back. I took a bit of a sabbatical. Uh, been really busy. I'm having fun with the guys. And, uh, uh, yeah, buddy. All right. And we also have the Caesar of Cinema with an actual review for us tonight, uh, Mr. James Wilson. Yes, I have returned from literally being hit by a car last week. Uh, so I'm feeling much better. I've seen an actual new movie that no one else in the world has seen that I'm allowed to talk about. I say no one else, about, about 50 other people have seen it, but still. Hell yeah, excited. Awesome, and we're going to get into that tonight. And we also have our uh, illustrious white wolf, Samuel Tolbert. Everybody, it is good to be here. We're a little lighter on the gaming news, but that is okay because my man James is going to be in rare, strong, excellent form tonight, which I am really uh, looking forward to, and that alone is worth getting your butt in the seat and listening in. So let's get this thing started. Okay, so we're going to get things started with our first question that we ask every single week. What have you guys been playing? Uh, James, have you had a chance to play anything, or you just watched the movie? I have. I've played an, a video game that is new to me. It's not new to other people, but it's new to me. I've been playing Final Fantasy VII Remake. Okay, and it's does. really, really good. Surprising no one, the guy who really likes Final Fantasy really likes this Final Fantasy game. Uh, I haven't played it mostly because of monetary reasons, but I found a copy that was about £20, so about 35 bucks. Uh, secondhand in a shop, and I thought, what the hell, I need to play this. Everyone says it's really good. It's probably going to be one of the best games of the year based on reviews and stuff, so I thought I'd give it a go. I'm about five or six hours in, and I'm already just loving the hell out of it, and I can't wait for the other really long amount of time, apparently, that it is. Uh, other than that, uh, I have been... Actually, I went through playing Assassin's Creed Rogue, which I never got to play which is the one set just before Unity, uh, because I'm apparently the biggest, the world's biggest uh, Assassin's Creed mark. But, you know, hell, hell I love them, and they're great. Uh, but I'm still on my usuals. Uh, I'm still, every now and then, trying to get my speed down on Bloodborne, uh, constantly playing F1 2020, and avoiding FIFA 2021 like the plague. So, there we go. And Sam, you get a chance to play anything? Yeah, yeah. I have actually been playing a game I can talk about for once. Uh, it's it's not out yet, but I'm not embargoed. Um, I can tell you that I have been playing and am reviewing Age of Empires 3 Definitive Edition. Um, I won't take up too much time because I'll have a review coming in a couple of days. Can't say exactly when, but it'll be a couple of days before it comes out on the 15th. 
But Age of Empires 3 is one of those weird games where, despite absolutely loving Age of Empires and loving real-time strategy, I didn't spend a lot of time with it when, you know, it first came out. I played it a little bit, wasn't really feeling it, didn't run well on my computer. So I, did, I just went back to Age of Empires 2. <laughs> um, but this this rebuilt Definitive Edition is the real deal. It adds some new civilizations, the Incas and the Swedes. It completely revamps the weird trading card home city system that turned off a lot of people, including me. And it revamps it so it's very simple to understand. Everything is unlocked for everyone. No advantage if you've been playing multiplayer longer. Uh, they rework some of the Native American campaigns to be a little more understanding and more period accurate, as well as, you know, actually having the proper tribe names and things like that, you know, being respectful to them. So all around, it's it's a really good package. It, it's really good. I've been having fun with it. Beyond that, I have also been sucked into the time sink that is called Among Us. Um, I don't really need to talk ah, about that. Yes. If you listen, you know what it is, but it's good. It, it's darn good. Yes, yeah, so much fun. That was actually my um my suggestion for last uh, last week's October suggestions. So and I see what you guys got for this. Man, that was a fun game. It was really fun. All right, but uh, uh, Fame, what have you been playing, sir? I have been playing Avengers nonstop. I know everyone seems to hate this game, and some people are turning into Anthem, but I am working on getting my third character to Power 150. Um, but playing it nonstop with a, with a couple of friends, and I don't see myself stop stopping playing this game anytime soon. Uh, who was your first character that you got to 150? Oh, Widow. She she's my she's my main character. Uh, then I got Thor, and I'm currently working on uh, Iron Man. So what I'm is it with there. your redheaded theme? Redheaded game characters, Aloy and Black Widow. Is like, hey, is this a thing? Here's the here's the thing, and and I'm, I I would not lie about this. I went through a phase in life. That's all I even dated was redheads. It's a thing. I don't know, but. Widow is my she's really very lovely. I don't blame you. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, but as soon as they raise the cap uh, level up, I will go back to her. But right now, I want to get other characters up. Um, it's because of the hives that you do. Like, if you go down, if you don't have other characters that are that are um pretty strong, you just got you you lose. And that's the surefire way to get uh exotics right now is to doing those uh, yeah. uh those hives. So, I've been playing this game almost non stop. Cool. All right, so we got some uh, little movie corner. I know our movie corner has been basically dead this year because there hasn't been much to really talk about. Uh, but we're gonna let James do his little review, and then we'll get into our Spooktober picks and we'll go over from there. Uh, James, it is my understanding you actually had the uh, privilege, all the new Pixar film, about two months before everybody else. Yes, uh, so it is currently the London Film Festival uh, in the UK. I have been, I went for two years as press. I uh, got to see a bunch of really, really cool stuff uh, ahead of, like, months before it eventually came out, including Moonlight, a massive, a whopping four months before the general release. Uh, and I didn't like it then, I still don't like it now. Haha. <laughs> anyway, um, I didn't get to go see everything this year because the festival was mostly online and mostly just for press in the industry. But there were very, very, very few select public showings. One of them was for Soul, 
including a great introduction from Pete Doctor, uh, the writer, the writer and co-writer and co-director. So, um, talking about the process of making this film, especially uh, process of following Inside Out, which he also was the writer and director of. So, for those of you who don't know, Soul is the new Pixar film, and it follows a man called Joe Gardner, a jazz musician who. Uh, just after landing the dream job of his life, playing as a jazz pianist in a renowned quartet, falls down a drain and is dead. And that—that that is the inciting incident of this entire film. It's not a spoiler, it's in the trailer, it's the whole thing. He then goes to... He's then sent to what is referred to as the Great Beyond. He then tries to run away because he wants to get back to his life. Again, all of this is in the trailer. I'm not going to be spoiling anything two months before a film comes out. Uh, and then he's tasked with. Oh, I can't remember if that's in the trailer or not. He's put together with a soul known as Number Twenty Two, voiced by Tina Fey. Uh, Joe is voiced by Jamie Fox, I should say. And again, this is very dicey. Reviewing a film two months before it comes out. What I can say is how the film made me feel, which is it really made me feel. I. I'm a big, big fan of Inside Out. Before uh, I was on this podcast, when I was still reviewing films regularly for uh, Tick, and I would do the year breakdowns, Inside Out was my number one of the year it came out. You know, that was a stacked year. That was the year that Ex Machina and Room and Mad Max and the Star Wars Episode 7 came out. So I regard Inside Out very, very highly. It's probably my favorite animated film of all time, and I mean that. So for this to be billed as the follow-up to Inside Out, I was, my expectations very high. And while it is from the same creative team as Inside Out, it is not the follow-up to Inside Out. It is similar in visual style. There's, it's a lot more abstract than Inside Out was. You know, how do you represent a soul in animated form? It's an interesting question. And I think the way that, the, the way that they went is a good way uh you can see the little images they have in the trailer they have form but they don't really have a form that you might recognize the thing that's really interesting to me is that there are characters in this 3d animated movie who are 2d there are 2d lines effectively that have motion and purpose and in this sort of abstract world, they sort of fit in. But then when you have sections that are set in the real world, you see what I think is some of the best 3D animation of real world things you've ever seen, especially like cloth and hair and rain and leaves and the tiny minute details that you could only, the tiny minute flaws, I should say, of like just something that is real, that was undesigned by man. And it's just beautiful the way that this film looks. And I'm trying to avoid story details here. I'm just talking about like the, how the film made me feel itself. Uh, does anyone have any questions that I might be able to sort of dovetail off into a bit? Um, I, I, so I, I think I asked you this earlier, and I said it was really hard for you to... So like, Pixar mm-hmm. normally is very high quality when it comes to films, uh, especially yes. when it comes to story and above all else um mm-hmm. so I, I asked you this before like how would you rank it in terms of um the the other pixar library is it like on a scale of like good dinosaur to ratatouille 
Like, uh, mm -hmm. where would you where would you kind of put like above it and below it, kind of in that? Um, on a personal thing, I don't like ranking that much, even though we sure. we have great well, ranking I'm trying to get more of an idea, roughly. No, 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 completely, of course. Um, I personally would put it quite high. I put it in the top five or six. Um, like as I said, it it's not Inside Out for me, which is my personal number one. But if you liked Inside Out, I think Soul is very much cut from the same cloth in that it's trying to deal with very, very complex emotional ideals uh, in a relatively simplistic way. And despite this being a film essentially for children, you know, it is bright and colorful. It features little funny cartoon slapstick moments, but it also deals with, you know, what is the meaning of a soul and what is the meaning of life and our purpose on this earth? Like, that are the questions that this film is trying to deal with. It purposely does not give any answers to any. It just poses the questions and then says what people, some people think, and some flaws that some people approach. You know, people thinking that, like, they're born on this earth to do one entire thing, and that's the only thing that they should ever do, and throw everything else to the side. And maybe that's not great, but sometimes that does work for people. So, you know... This film is, it's quite difficult to talk about for people who haven't seen the film, uh, especially a film of this nature. It, but I've spent, I've, I've spent a lot of time talking about it. I haven't really told you how I feel. I loved watching this film, and I particularly loved watching it in a cinema. And I'm quite sad that uh, the vast majority of people will never see this film in a cinema because the way that the music is done, the music by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, I should mention as well, they do the vast majority of the score. And it's beautiful and farscaping and electronic and using the cinema surround sound to fill your auditory senses and overload you and talking about flow states. I just adored watching this film. So I'd really hope if you have the opportunity to watch Soul in a cinema, go. Please go. If it is safe, go. So James, uh, I have most a question you... for you about this. Yes. So the title of Soul, you kind of gave a little bit about what it was about. It's something I've actually been looking forward to seeing. Um, so mm -hmm. I have a question that most people probably would not understand, but um, you've heard of the term soul as in the use of, of how, how, uh, my people, African-Americans use the term soul, correct? Yeah. Like soul food and stuff like that. No, kind of, not really. Soul. So soul is something that, you know, we as black people are, we feel we are, we are born into having soul, someone being a soul brother. And so I was, I was trying to see if this movie, even though it is a physical soul, also plays on that, um, on that topic being soul being a double entendre, not also, not just meaning a physical soul. Because me seeing, me seeing this as a, a film with, with, uh, with black characters, I mm -hmm. automatically assume that they would use that as a double entendre with it being a physical soul, but playing off of what we as black people consider soul. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if you, if you caught that at all, the, the playoff of that at all. But that's something I'm really looking forward to seeing, whether or not I mean, it is playing off that. That's something I, I've been interested in, in knowing about. I don't know if it's something I personally noticed because 
I'm not someone of African-American descent who gotcha. maybe would, would would notice those references. But I should say the other co-director that isn't Pete Doctor is an African-American man. I can't remember his name right now. I should have written it down. Uh, but, you know, there's a scene where they go to a barbershop and the discussions they kind of, that they have, again, never been to an African-American barbershop in America, in, in America. But I would be surprised if what you mentioned is not a part of the film because the main character is black and most of the people he encounters are black. The music he's playing is jazz. You know, mm-hmm. the vast majority of people on, that we encounter on Earth are black. So I imagine that's something that's there. I can't say that it is or it isn't because I genuinely didn't notice, didn't, didn't notice that. But again, I yeah, wasn't I looking for it. I, I would but definitely. That's a, but that's a fantastic question. Whenever I get a chance to see it, I would definitely love to for us to come back and and talk about this movie again. That way I can kind of point out some of the insights of what I was talking about for the people who who wouldn't um, understand. I would love to revisit this when I when I when it finally you know gets released to the the public. Well, I imagine when we convene for next year and we talk about what we watched over Christmas, we all would have watched it by then. So maybe um, maybe it's definitely something we we can re uh, re have another look at. Awesome. It's, I look forward to it's it. It's my understanding it's coming out for free on Disney Plus. Is they're not doing the whole premiere thing they did? As far as I am aware, uh, the the all the press releases have they haven't said the words premiere access. So as far as it looks, it looks like it's coming out just if you have a Disney Plus subscription, you'll get it on Christmas Day. And we'll come back to this a little bit later, but we gotta get to our fix and kind of get into some. So, um, yeah. like I saw the win overboard. I haven't reviewed a film in a while. I nearly I needed this. <laughs> we, we were overdue for something. All right. So yeah. real quick, uh, as you guys are, if you're watching for the first time, uh, every October, every single week of October, we get our spooktober picks. Uh, we normally pick something that's like a scary movie, TV show, um, video game, whatever. Something just kind of gets you in the mood for Halloween uh, season. And uh, we did our picks, did our picks last week, and we're gonna do our picks for this week, uh, real quick. Um, I'm gonna go first, uh, just so I can do, I give you an idea. So this one's more of a thriller, although I put it in the horror category. For and I'll explain it a little bit later. Uh, Kate Fear, uh, by Martin Scorsese, uh, with uh, Nick Nolte, uh, Jessica Lange, and Robert De Niro. Um, it is a remake, I recall, of a, another film, I believe. From out um they redid it but it's much better in this particular by my uh, personal preference uh this film uh for setup uh you have the a defense attorney or a convict uh who had raped and beat a woman um he was able to get him off for battery as opposed to rape but there was a particular uh, detail that came through that he kind of buried. Uh, it's not really a spoiler. Um, the detail is that uh, Robert De Niro's character, I forget what it is, but Robert De Niro's character had, well, woman was promiscuous and it, supposedly she was a prostitute, but like he still really did terrible, terrible things to her anyway. But his character believes that uh, if this information had come out before, the trial would have gone different. 
Um, but Nick Nolte's character as a defense attorney uh, buries this information so it never sees trial. Like, it just doesn't. Um, at the time, Robert De Niro's character is illiterate, can't read, but he has a photographic memory. Uh, while he's in prison for 14 years, learns how to read and studies law, but through photographic memory, he can remember what was on the page of that report. So, blames uh, Nick Nolte's character. Now, that where the where the film gets interesting is he decides to get revenge on Nick Nolte and does so in a manner that is absolutely terrifying. Never does anything in the movie to like the last five minutes that's actually illegal. But he has such a sense of menace. Like, um, do little things like, oh yeah, he'll stalk them like outside their home. Like, sit on the wall around their house. And like Nate Ulti's character is like, oh, I, I got him now. He's stalking us. But actually him sitting on the wall is not trespassing because he's not, not anywhere nearby them. Um, he'll do little things like, um, and I won't get any further than this, he beats up one of Nick Nolte's uh, friends. Uh, beats her up. Bad. Um, and, oh, I got, I got proof now that, like, uh, this is absolute proof that, like, oh, yeah, he did something. But she refuses to testify or press charges because she want to go to court. Because all her friends are also attorneys and would tear her apart. It's just all these little things about like he absolutely renders the law irrelevant and can't do it. That's absolutely terrifying that nothing can protect you because the person's operating entirely within the construct of the law. And it's it's absolutely a terrifying film to watch under that. Um, so that's my personal opinion. What else? Uh, what did everyone pick last week? I missed the show. Um, I had picked Among Us and um, um, Sam, you were there. What did you pick? Podcast. Well, <clears throat> I picked Hush, the 2016 film. <clears throat> Hell uh, yeah. One- yeah, yeah, great. Incredible. And then uh, the other one I picked was Alien Isolation. Those were the two I picked. Alright, I've got something. Alright. I would want to talk about a movie called Ghost Stories. Anyone heard of this? Nope. I mean, it's a pretty generic name, I'll give it that. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is from the writer and creator and star of the film, a man called Andy Nyman. Uh, now, most of you have, has anyone here heard of the, the illusionist and mentalist Darren Brown? No? Fair enough. He's very, very big in Britain and, uh, and did a big Broadway show and a couple of Netflix specials last year. Anyway, uh, Andy Nyman is also a creator of the horror comedy series. Uh, uh, him and Jeremy Dyson, they created a show called uh, The League of Gentlemen which is a brilliantly weird and very, very British comedy horror show from the late 90s, early 2000s. But Ghost Stories originally uh, began life as a play, a play about a a criminologist and a psychic skeptic uh, 
going and visiting three cases that his mentor could never solve. The film follows the exact same format. It is this character going and visiting and meeting three people who have... And you just hear their stories. That's it. You hear three different ghost stories. But what happens is that the line between reality, sanity, uh, truth, uh, exaggerated truth, what is a story, what is an exaggerated version of a story, is just... The line just starts to get drawn slightly differently. Uh, the film came out in 2017, uh, did pretty well in the British box office. I don't know if it ever got a, a US release, uh, but if you like horror that makes you terrified of just being alive, uh, this is one for you. I can't, I can't recommend it enough. I saw the stage show multiple times when I was very much too young to watch it. Uh, and then the, when the film came out, I was just so excited. So, yeah, Ghost Stories. Uh, big, big, big recommend. All right, Sam, what you got for us this week? Um, why don't you skip me since uh, since we didn't have um, Fame's picks last week. Why don't you uh, go for him first? Fame, do you have a oh, pick man, for this week? I, I, I got nothing. Honestly, <laughs> well, you, you don't normally you don't normally participate in this uh, segment every year. No, sir. I usually, I usually sit back and listen with these, and it's typically something James says that makes me go and watch. That's why I usually okay. that's usually why I'm here to see what James is recommending for us to watch. For us to watch. Sorry. Oh, I'm touched. <laughs> go watch Oculus. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so my pick is, uh, and I, I'm sorry, but I only have one this week. Uh, okay. is, is That's the fine. Only I, one. I only have one too. Is, so. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Is, um, the evil within it's a game by Tango Gameworks, uh, part of Bethesda now part of Xbox and all that. Fa- uh, studio is directed by Shinji Mikami, who helped, you know, found the Resident Evil franchise. He worked with Capcom later on. He would work with Platinum Games for a little bit. And the first Evil Within, I want to be straight up, is not as good as the second one. second one is leagues better as a game. But the first one does have a sort of rustic charm that I don't think any other horror game has and no other horror game ever will. Um, have any of you played this game? Yes, I have. I have. You have? You have. Okay, so you both have. All right, so for anyone listening who hasn't played it, you open uh, playing as a detective whose name is Sebastian Castellanos. You go in with two uh, helper detectives, including a rookie named Judy Kidman and your partner, uh, Joseph. I can't remember his last name at this time. You investigate an insane asylum where supposedly there's been some disturbances. A guy has gotten loose. And from there on, it's just a roller coaster. It doesn't really make sense. Seriously, the story does not make sense at all until you play the DLCs and then play the second game. And yes, to an extent, like, that's not good storytelling, right? That is like, okay, what was this all supposed to be? But if you just turn that part of your brain off and accept it, it is a roller coaster of some of the best that, like, Resident Evil and Silent Hill and whatnot have had to offer with the horrifying, horrifying creature designs, like the Keeper 
and uh, all these other monsters that really exemplify, you know, that I think Silent Hill 2 started the trend, you know, the idea of monsters that are based on your own innate psychological issues. You know, so someone who locked things away for a time, it's a the strong butcher type creature that literally has a safe for a head and it can go anywhere. Uh, incredible, incredible creature work by Nakamura, actually, Kumi Nakamura, who is no longer with Tango Gameworks, but she worked on both Evil Within games. Um, it's survival horror, obviously, and I don't think as many people, you know, enjoyed it as they did in the second one, myself included. But you know, since Tango's name, Bethesda's name is coming up a lot these days, go back and give it a whirl. It is a very good popcorn horror game with some of the best creature work ever, hands down, in my opinion. I found the second half of that game a bit too similar to Resi 4. It, I mean, the, the similarities are definitely there. The similarities are definitely there. Alright, so we got some, uh, we got some stuff we want to cover real quick. Alright, so um, I'm going to start with the, the most boring news, honestly, to me. Uh, this is going to sound terrible. Uh, Xbox Series X the the games that were showed oh, shown off uh the embargo dropped uh I mainly saw IGN's coverage but I saw a few others IGN uh, where they were they showed off two particular games running on Series X hardware designed for Series X uh which was Yakuza Like a Dragon and uh, Dirt Five um would you say those are designed for Series X well they were designed and are going to release alongside it. So I would say design for think, That's hard to say, man. I wouldn't say those are designed, especially your I, I, I think what he meant is this is the first time we've had hands-on impressions of games optimized for Xbox Series X. I think that might be a better way of putting it. I don't know. I, for me, I'm just kind of like, I saw it, it was kind of underwhelmed by it. Like, like Dirt, Dirt obviously is trying to be Forza. I get it, but it's Dirt. Literal dirt. I just, I can't, I can't care about it. I just can't. And I would ask Mike, because he's kind of like the resident racing guy, uh, but he's not here tonight, so that's kind of sucks. But yeah, I, to me, I was kind of like, all right, cool. We got 120 frames per second. That's pretty cool. You're going to make some big sacrifices on there and visually get that. But it's pretty cool. Um, other than that, it was kind of a grab bag. Yakuza, okay, Yakuza Like a Dragon looks cool. Game looks fun. I don't know about being like a technical showpiece or anything like that, but it looks cool. Game looks crazy. So I, I'm kind of in that boat, but I, what do you guys think about this? Am I crazy? No, I don't think you're crazy in that I think they look fine. Uh, dirt, dirt is not up my alley. I'm not really a big racing guy, and when I do, I go for Forza hands down but you know it's just to me it's neat it's neat that there is a 120 fps mode you know and it sticks to it pretty darn well according to digital foundry that's something we haven't had in console racing before that's something that's very difficult to do even on pc with well optimized racing games so that's cool yakuza you can argue it's not a technical showcase but it's still a fun game and one that Xbox needs more of, to say the least, so I'm glad to see them promoting it. I understand, however, the vibe of what you're saying in terms of, yeah, okay, it's Series X gameplay. Neither of these are really showcases. You know, these aren't like 
oh hey here's the new gears of war running on series x or like or even something like assassin's creed valhalla i would say personally um i i get what you're saying i will be very careful and say these aren't the only games they're going to show off obviously oh, sure. you will see more stuff obviously very, but very right soon. now but right now right now i understand what you're saying i get it I don't know. What did you guys look? Did you guys look at a fame? I'm such an idiot. I'm on talking. I'm on mute. Uh, I I honestly feel like like I was saying earlier. I don't see these being like showcases. I think the people who are running with this to try to make the the Xbox Series X look bad needs to realize these multiplayer games designed for for multiplayer consoles, right? I don't think I, I'm still wholeheartedly believe that we're going to finally see Hellblade Two gameplay at the video game awards i could be wrong but i don't think we're going to get a true sense of a showcase title until then because we all know the first party studios are all working on something and they haven't been shown they haven't sh- really shown anything as of yet um so the console gonna launch with these multiplats and these second party um games uh when we look at the medium and stuff like that i don't even see the medium as a showcase style game uh, we got to get into the the Hellblade 2 and the other game before we really see what this console um, can look like. And it just sucks that we have to wait a little bit. Um, but I, when I saw it, I was okay, it looks good. But it, at the end of the day, I don't really get hoopla and excited because, I mean, this this it's a, it's a third-party title. It's, it's not really up to, you know, Microsoft or, or Sony on you know, how this game necessarily creatively looks or the stuff they decide to take out and put back in. A lot the crowd missing on the 120 hertz mode, but I, I don't know, man. I, I, don't, I don't see it as a technical showcase. Yakuza's never been about um, being a graphically demanding game. It's been about it being a fun game. Um, so it's going to be a while, probably around the Game Awards, before we really see something like a Hellblade 2 show, some gameplay. Like, oh, okay, here's the technical showcase we've been waiting for for this console. James, did you get a chance to look at it? Uh, I did not get a chance, unfortunately. Yeah. I would. My, my instant reaction is that if you're going to have something, if you're going to try and show something good, show something that's simulating real life. So Dirt makes sense from that logic standpoint. But also, Dirt is the kind of game that you would put after a big release to try and transition into the smaller indie titles in any three showcase like that there's also that so yeah and thought of it that way but yeah that makes sense but I, I just i got that impression that it was like okay there's a reason why we're showing the particular titles first i, I would hope that would be the case but it's not they're not designed for it but like it's supposed to be about performance i guess Oh look, we can do 120 frames per second. It's look, it's a Japanese game. Be happy. Um, I guess the only thing I was majorly excited for was the fact they had English uh, dubbing for Yakuza. Is that the first time it's been in that series? No, comment. definitely the first time at launch. I can say that. Definitely first time at launch. I'm getting confirmation from outside source right now saying it's the first time we had been there. Oh, I, I Maybe it's a situation that uh, the first letter of the games that they show off are going to lead to like the release of like brand new gameplay. So if it's DUI, eventually we're going to get the re-reveal of Dying Light 2. So, you know, why not? 
Yeah, I hope so. Better yet. I, I, I think no, you're fine. You. Dead Island does not start with D-Y. Also, Dead Island 2 came out, didn't it? No, it didn't. It never came out. No? All right, there you there go. Was, there was Dead Island Riptide was like an offshoot kind of game. But no, Dead Island 2 got announced. Like, I want to say. And then never came out. Never had an update. Kind of like, oh yeah. Gone like deep down. <laughs> Take away my gamer card. There you go. Well, I mean, most people didn't pay attention to it. But there's a good reason for it. I lost track in terms of what happened, like with what happened. I would feel like THQ Nordic was involved in some. Of course they were. They were always involved. Dead Island Two. Um, you want the short version on this nonsense or the long version? Eh, give us, give us the short one. I, yeah, it's been a while. Originally pitched it, but instead decided to focus on Dying Light with Warner Brothers, given how well Dying Light sold. I think it's fair to say they made the right choice. Yeah, Deep Silver was looking for a developer. Jaeger Development pitched, got the deal, uh, established a new division, Jaeger Productions. That was announced in 2014. They presented gameplay at Gamescom. It didn't really impress too many people. There were some, eh, okay, what is this? Uh, needless to say, skip a year, Jaeger Productions files for insolvency in 2015. In 2016, Sumo Digital takes over. And in 2018, I believe, yes, July 2018, uh, Deep Silver insists that the game is being made. That's all we got. The last thing we got was a quick, yes, it's in development in 2018. There you go. It's still. Oh, 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 and and I. Oh, excuse me. No, no, I'm incorrect. In 2019, they said that they had a new team called Damn Buster that was helping them out. Sorry. So we did get an update last year. My wait, wait, wait. apologies. The name of the studio is Damn Buster. Yes. Okay. Um, wow. So yeah. Uh, needless to say, yeah, maybe it's a game that comes out someday. Well, Damn Buster in Britain is a great phrase. Because it's the Dam Busters. It, it's it's the guys who, in World War Two, they they created the bouncing bomb that would uh, they would it would drop it on water and it would bounce and bounce and bounce until it hit a certain dam, bust the dam, and uh, rid Germany of the ability to create nuclear weapons. It's a very very important event. So don't make fun of the Dam Busters. <laughs> All right. So also other little bit of gaming news. Um, this is more just kind of interesting, I guess. Um, so Ruffian Games. Uh, what was the last game they, they made it they assisted with they did some support work on Crackdown 3 and Master Chief Collection okay odd studio to choose personally okay uh, so it was announced today that Take 2 uh, the parent company of Rockstar has purchased Ruffian uh, I don't know I didn't hear any details at least uh, how much or anything about cares about that um, but not only that, and the only reason why we even bother having this in a thumbnail, uh, they rebranded them immediately. Ruffian. Rockstar Dundee. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I literally have zero feeling about this, but it happened. Yeah, it's, it's just for, for me, it's, sorry, go ahead, James. 
No, no, no. I, 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 you guys cut out for a minute, and I, I missed the last like thirty seconds. I'm just talking about how funny it is they've been renamed uh, Rockstar Dundee. Obviously, referring to Dundee, Scotland, not you know Crocodile Dundee, but still yeah. plenty Irrelevant. of jokes and memes. <laughs> plenty of jokes and memes are being had. All the same, it's it's all in good fun. <laughs> That's not a game studio. This is a game yeah, studio. Is uh, is one of my favorites. But uh, outside at, of that, at, is... at an Australian, I like Crocodile Dundee, but like we, we we do other things as a country. So yeah, you've you've also you also had Steve Irwin, which is great. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Um, but I, I will say, like, it's it's not super interesting aside from the fact that obviously everyone is continuing to acquire and build up and buff up. Like, obviously, literally everyone's doing it. But there is a shared history here. Um, Ruffian was first founded by several developers from a Rockstar project, I believe, and a lot of that team worked on, like, Grand Theft Auto 3 and Manhunt. So there is sort of a, you know, George Lucas, it's like poetry, it rhymes, cyclical nature to a lot of this. You know, they struck out and did their own thing for a while, and now they're coming home. Um, that, that's kind of funny. Just make Bully 2. Come on, guys. Please, Man, just do it. if that happened, I'd be totally down. I, I would love a Bully game. You guys know that Bully's not called Bully in the UK. Do you know about this? Yeah, you told me before. What was it called? It's called, like, Canis Canem Edit. Yeah. I remember I was like, what the hell? Yeah, it's, it's like the Latin motto of the school. It's, it's dumb. Alright, uh, yeah. uh, Fame, anyone want to add before we start talking about Disney? Nah. I, there's really not much to say, is there? It's just kind of like... No, uh, it really isn't. Like, this is... <laughs> it, it, I don't know, maybe... I, was, I literally was asking people, it's like, why Why is this a big deal? Oh, because of, cause of who they are, not what they've done. I'm like, British? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You know, I will say this before I forget, it has nothing to do with the topic at hand, right? However, um, I was talking with some people earlier about QuakeCon. You know, now that Microsoft owns ZeniMax, whatever, QuakeCon has a different feel to it. I expect you to be back in Texas next year if QuakeCon happens, Anchor. I'm just telling you right now, it's time for you to hop back on that horse and 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 be the biggest Bethesda fanboy I know and come to QuakeCon with us because it's going to have a different feel next year. I want to say that before I forget. I've been meaning to tell you. Yeah, actually, that reminds me, too. So my thing now is that literally with Microsoft, they have so much potential in terms of... Because not only now, they basically own QuakeCon, and they're going to have out the XO event, and they have the regular E3 stuff. Mm-hmm. Because when's QuakeCon? Like, July normally? No, QuakeCon is usually um, at the end of the year, so around now. Ish. Oh, so October normal. Yeah, typically. If they moved XO to like springtime, set in terms of events. Yes, sir. And they would like they they could literally use that as so much free press. Super excited for Quake. Oh. I was telling all my guys, we go every year. It's gonna have a different feel next year if you know everything opens back up. I mean, eventually. 
Yeah, I'm not quite sure it will next year, but it will it will eventually, obviously, and it'll be a big deal when it does. I want to go to QuakeCon one of these years. Hey, man, come down. If you ever come down, because we like to say we go every year, this is literally like a 15-minute drive from my house. If you guys ever come, let me know. We'll, 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 we'll do it up. That's part of you guys are down here in Texas. <laughs> yep, let's do it. Let's do it. We'll do it up you guys are here. I would love the makers of Untitled Goose Game to hold an event at the exact same time as QuakeCon in like a oh, pond God. nearby and call it QuackCon. Okay. <laughs> well, that was a multiverse show. Uh. <laughs> All right. So, last topic for the evening. So, this is something that kind of happened randomly, but is extremely interesting gonna change everything going forward bear with us here well probably will at this point if it's disney doing it it's probably gonna happen so today we had an announcement from the new ceo of disney i actually didn't know they had a new ceo i thought they just had an interim one is this guy i don't know he's another bob is what i remember um so they had him out, and he basically said that they are restructuring Disney for their primary revenue source is going to be uh, Disney Plus. That's the main focus from now on. Um, less uh, movie theaters and digital home releases and stuff like that. Less that for Disney. And this is a pretty big deal. Um, I, I, before I start going into my particular things before, or at least before we talk about that, let you guys kind of take over a little bit. James, what, what, what's the what's the deal? Why are you a little skeptical about this? Why is this not so much? A- no, no, no. I said it, I I didn't say it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. But I said like the idea of it potentially being like some people have run with the idea that this means that that's it for all Marvel products and all Star Wars products that are all going to be on Disney Plus first and I think well that's probably a step too far. You know I doubt that. If, for example, what's not uh, Doctor Strange? That's a good one. Uh, that that's far enough away. That's probably going to get a big cinema release if COVID it hasn't ravaged the world by December. Um, Black Widow potentially. Ah, who knows? But I don't see this as the cinema killer people are talking this about. I see this as the long term replacement for the Disney Channel because. I don't have a subscription to the Disney Channel, but I have a subscription to, to Disney Plus. Who among who amongst us pays pays for the Disney Channel? Favorite Disney. Well, uh, do, sorry, do you get it for free in America? Well, no, I mean for us, like it's like part of cable packages. Like, well, because most of the time here, um, it's more you can't really pick individual channels. Like, want to do this? But my point stands that it's part of a ca- it's part of a package, right? Yeah. But you, but you still pay for it. That's what I mean. Sure. I mean, ultimately, yes. Yes. Okay. So, what if the Disney Channel went away completely, and then they just get you over the counter direct to them? Because Disney, Disney, this is the failure of a lot of streaming services for like Peacock and HBO Max and all of this stuff. The content that they produce isn't really the big reason people go to them. People have Netflix and Amazon Prime because they have The Office and Friends. Same with HBO Max for Friends. 
But Disney have enough stuff that you could go, yep, here's all of the stuff we've done, and you will watch it because it's nostalgic, and there's enough new content that people actually like. Um, so long term, I see this statement as that's what they mean. They're, they're trying to 100% corner that market. And hey, if every now and then they get a slice of their movie revenue, that's great. Who's to say that the weekend, let's say, let's use Doctor Strange again as, a, as an example. If the weekend Doctor Strange comes out just for the opening weekend, if you wanted to pay premiere access and watch it at home, why not? As an example of things that could happen. The, the, as I said, we're having a conversation based on, what, seven words? So the information that we're going off of is 100% speculative. But if I was a betting man, that's where my money would be. This is they're focusing in on the key demographic of people like from ages five to about 35. Like children whose parents have it and, pe and young adults and late 20s and people who just have got kids and they need something to distract them. What are you going to get? Disney Plus. That's where I stand. Damn. Definitely a little more cynical in terms of the survival of theaters, especially given the extended statements that Bob Chapek uh, said about their whole plan here and how he said, you know, we're trying to skate to where the puck is going to be. And then later, I'm trying to find a link to it right now. He made some additional statements that I forgot to share in our group chat. Uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? I'm, here it is. Yeah, he says, as dynamics change, we want to make sure we're giving consumers who want to go to theaters to experience everything a theatrical release can give them. Yes, but at the same time, there's a lot of consumers who want to experience a movie in safety, comfort, and convenience from their homes. We have to be there for them and put the consumer first. And the consumer is making the decision here. So I'm I'm definitely a little more skeptical. To me, this is basically all but confirming they're going to go more for a our movies are the loss leader on Disney Plus uh, projection. That's just where I see it, but we'll see. Um, do you have anything to add to this? Before we, uh... Nah. So, here's the thing. I look at this as cinematic of what the going through of in the long run. Um, where I think this is mainly after Tenant Weekend, uh, where people are desperate for something and still kind of up in the air about whether or not it's going to open. I think it was they were buying time to see if things were going to get any better. And they made this call after it was readily apparent this is not going to get done this year. Um, that things are not going to go back to normal. And that things are going towards a streaming route, digital and connected, and this is live in. That. I think they they've recognized that, and they're trying to get ahead of it. I don't know what that means necessarily per se. Um, I know they've said, well, at least I saw that. I'm not sure that uh, said that like some movies about day and date on plus and in theater. Um. I think that would work for certain movies, like um, like any Disney remake that exists. 
Um, maybe some they're not quite positive about it, like this literally on both. But like, if they came out and made Avengers five, do you know their their day and date? Not sure about that. Um, simply just because of that reason. But what I do see it doing is they're going to be cutting out the especially the home sale market, where it's going to be like, okay, look. We're going to have the movie, it comes out, it does its run, and then it's coming to Disney Plus right afterward. At least get people there. I think that's going to be... They're, they're going to say, if you want to own it physically, sure. You may not get it till six months from now if you want to own it physically. But, look, we're going to be having things pretty quickly. going to cut down the... Time in between, and that's kind of where I I see them kind of fitting it into it, um, and, because the main focus, is, I mean, it's all corporate speak, obviously, the main focus is to try to do direct to cutting out middlemen, and I mean, theaters or something is interesting because a lot of them is it built out of their business around tentpole, and they might do like what they did with Mulan again several times, but the smaller movies I definitely see. Hey, these are selling points. And say, hey, do you want to go see Lion King 2, the prequel? Basa. Want to see the live action movie? Like, are you going to pay money for that? I'm not. <laughs> or you can watch it on Disney Plus. <laughs> I've ranted enough. We didn't talk about the announcement of who's directing the Lion King movie. It's Barry Jenkins. Why? Why? Why is the director of Moonlight directing a Lion King movie? No idea. It better be like really serious. Yeah. If it's really sad and really serious, I'll I'll be into it. <laughs> anyway, back. Back to the topic at hand. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, on a side, on a little tangent from this, I just hope that this is a wake up call to a bunch of movie studios to be like, "Hey, maybe making films that cost two hundred million dollars to make and only make a profit if they make about five hundred or six hundred million dollars isn't great a business practice," because companies like you know, Blumhouse or the horror companies like St. Maud is coming out and that only needs to break about 10 million worldwide to be profitable. That's a good thing. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I mean, I'll, you know, I'll eat crow. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm just saying that at least to me, I could be totally wrong here. It seems like people in companies are just now starting to understand that the pandemic isn't going to be over anytime soon. It's going to be a while. That is impacting the production pipeline. That And we saw with Tenet the disastrous result it's having for theaters and everything going on there. I really do think Disney is pivoting to get to a place where, sure, they like theaters, but they no longer depend on them. That's where I'm at. We'll see what happens. 
Yeah. I mean, I wasn't here last week to talk about the the theatre collapse of Cineworld and Regal, which is a unbelievably big deal. And, you know, 5,000 jobs in the UK just got wiped out overnight. Yeah. Um, I don't have any news to talk about uh, Odeon and View and other places of that ilk. You know, I'm still in a job, so that's something. But, uh, you know, we were really relying on films like, you know, Black Widow and No Time to Die and Wonder Woman stuff coming out, which, you know, isn't great for our business. But then again, there are people who are saying that there are no new films coming out, which isn't true. Since Tenet released in the 26th of July, we have had two new films release every single week. So there are films coming out. There is an audience there. It's just not as big as some people want or need it to be. I don't have anything to add to that. I say something here. I was say, am I the only one experiencing this like weird, awkward silence at the moment? I, I definitely had it. It's just usually that's when Ivan steps in. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. I just had a... All right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's not much really to talk about right now, at least in terms of definitive statements. What... But it is going to be very interesting and also really scary uh, to see this kind of sure. everything's changing. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're going to kind of wrap things up here. Uh, Fane, where can the good people find you, sir? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at FameENT2K. Um, you guys can find everything that I also write and edit at uh, LV1Gaming.com. Uh, every Wednesday and Thursday, you can catch the Double XP podcast and the Take Two podcast there. Uh, got some really, really, really talented writers that just joined the team. About three talented writers just joined the team just recently that I'm super, super excited about. They're super talented, creative um writers and um you guys are really going to enjoy that content at level1gaming.com and uh we'll see you guys next monday right and james um you can find me on twitter at james underscore s wilson and i know we've been talking about how disney are cynical and awful and they're ruining the film industry but if you want something that's genuinely uplifting and quite joyous on Disney Plus is the making of Frozen 2, uh, a TV series that is one of the best making of store, one of the best making of film documentaries that has ever been. Watch that and you'll you'll resolve for humanity again, despite it being a corporate machine. Sam? You can find me on Twitter at Samuel Talbert. You can find everything I write. Right on Windows Central, Android Central, and iMore. Please be excited for my review of Age of Empires 3 coming sometime in the next couple of days. All right, and I'm Ivan. You can find me on uh, AngerBambi2. Uh, also, hit us up on Discord. Um, we'll be uploading the show on today once it finishes uploading. Uh, so, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, always good to have the guys on for the show, and we are going to talk to you guys later. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Multiverse Show, greatest show on Mondays.